Did you know that to become an IT expert, you first need to know how to pilot a submarine? Yep. At least that's what Rob Tiffany did. So Rob is a worldwide renowned IoT expert and he's joining me on the IoT show to share his story, the careers and the learnings that framed his undeniable expertise in IoT. Hey, this is Olivier, you're watching the IoT show. And today with Rob, we will talk about what is an IoT expert. And so Rob, you've been in the IoT business for a very long time. Not that you're old, we're not old. We're not old, we are experienced. Experienced, right? seasoned. Experience. <laughs> so for those who don't know you, like shame on them to start with. And then, you know, who is Rob? Like how was Rob? I'll, I'll ask the how and and so on. But what is your uh, your short introduction about yourself? My short introduction is, gosh, I, I'm a. <laughs> that's a good one. You know, um, I'm a submarine driver. That's who I am. That's what I am. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, lately I'm working as a chief product officer at a company called Red Bison Networks. So I've been doing product management for a long time with software development on the side. I used to be always just nothing but software development and architecture and stuff like that. And I still love doing that a lot, as do you, I'm sure. Um, yep. You know, I just can't quit. Some people like to do the crossword puzzles on the weekend. I still like writing code. Um, and so- uh, getting That's your way of getting your hands dirty. That's your it, uh, old car project, right? It is, it is. You know, in fact, if I think of just every job or every role, or if I even back at Microsoft, when you 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 go to different roles, different organizations, stuff like that, mm -hmm. and stuff where I'm not a developer anymore, and yet I treasured those times to oh, I've got to speak at this conference, and so I've got to create a demo, and so always it was like the only time I'd have opportunity to write code to build a demo for some kind of conference or something like that. Yeah, um, forcing factor, forcing factor, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, it's good to stay plugged into all that stuff, no matter what you're doing, you know? Yeah, and there's so much happening as well that, you know, we, the risk for me is to stay too high level, like kind of like just hearing about something and, and not crafting an opinion based on having experienced it or applied it. But the domain is so vast that it's it's hard to actually keep up with everything. And yeah. before, before we get into that, um, I wanted to rewind a little. You were saying like submarine driver, like um, how do you go from, and, and to me that's important because I want to talk with you about what are the main traits of, and uh, that would define an IT expert. And I think there's something that I've seen a lot among our peers who know IoT is that we're coming from different, uh, you know, from different domains, from different expertise, different areas, and and we are, able to jump from, or we did, you know, by opportunity or not, jump from one type of job to another one, one role to another one, one project to another one. So can we rewind a little and t can you tell us a bit more about how do you go from submarine driving in the military to where you're at today? Wow. All right, let's do it. Um, you know, yes, many years ago, a lifetime ago, um, yeah, I was on a couple of submarines in the U.S. Navy. I was in a First submarine was a special ops sub that with the Navy SEALs. And so it was doing 
crazy operations that are all classified, but really exciting and fun. It's good to hang out with SEALs. It's also good if you're in a bar fight in another country. You know, it's good to have those guys around, right? Useful. Useful. Yeah. You know, it's useful. Absolutely. Uh, and then, Pacino, literally, how did I get to the Pacific Northwest and get to meet you and spend time doing startups and be at Microsoft? And it was because of the Navy, actually. Um, you know, we we across the bay, the Puget Sound from downtown Seattle, on the other side, you know, there's Bainbridge Island, there's Palsbo, there's Bremerton. There's a shipyard over there where we decommission all our nuclear submarines at Bremerton Shipyard, ironically. And literally, that's how I got to the Pacific Northwest, literally like opening a hatch. I'm here. Um, <laughs> seriously. Yeah, I know. It's a weird way to get somewhere, isn't it? Some people drove here. Some people flew here. Like you submarined here. <laughs> I submarined here. Well, it's like people talk about, you know, you enjoy visiting Hawaii, right? Mm -hmm. I, I've driven my submarine to Hawaii many, many times. You know, when you come in there and you go around Ford Island and, you know, there's the Arizona Memorial and I'm driving the sub and the captain's like, all right, Tiffany, make sure you don't crash into the Arizona Memorial. That could be career limiting move, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a no bueno. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what, though, but when you think about the right then IoT, IoT is a bunch of sensors and actuators, right? Yeah, uh, and we're just remoting them. It's wireless, wired, whatever, so we know about them somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. That was my first experience of seeing there were sensors all over the place. And you, of course, you, you, know, an you actually were an operator of an IT solution. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Um, yeah. What do you think sonar is? It's a sensor to bounce yeah. back and tell you where, you know, because we don't have any windows on the submarine, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's just like it's like radar for the ocean. Um, you had gas sensors of all kinds. You know, we're having to make oxygen from seawater and separating it and taking oxygen and CO2 and everything. We're breathing CO2. We had CO2 sensors, radiology, radi radiation sensors, tons of stuff like that to keep us alive. Um, and a lot of times people take it for granted or they work in an industrial space and they may not realize they're surrounded by all kinds of sensors and everything that make that whole thing work and they just take it yes. for granted. And so that's what kept us going on the submarine was lots of sensors and actuators. And so, uh, but yeah, so I got out of the Navy uh, and was in the Pacific Northwest. I'm in Seattle. Uh, I started with a startup in Bellevue, Washington called Real-Time Data. And literally everyone hears about the dawn of IoT and it was some vending machine or whatever. That's what we were doing, vending machines. Uh, vending machines a lifetime ago were dumb, unintelligent, fully mechanical, you know, things turning, whatever, put a quarter in, there's no credit card swiping, there's nothing like that. And we worked with a team that brought a dumb machine to life. And I'd say there's three kind of parts to it. You had the people who were writing firmware, which is your background, and, you know, so embedded C on these black boxes, we were burning EEPROMs mm -hmm. uh, to get that to work. And so that was kind of like the, bringing that with cables going into the vending machine to tell you, like, there's spirals that spin to push out your candy bars. So they would tell us when that spin, how much money's coming in. Then we had all the wireless guys. We had these RF engineers, some of them who were part of creating the black box for aircraft. I mean, smart mm -hmm. guys. And we invented our own wireless modems and we're bouncing packets off of these 
They have these free, like 450 megahertz business radio towers that you could use publicly. And so we would create our own packets. You learned early on about efficiency. And so we were a bit twiddling, you know, X or and all that stuff to make our yeah. packets as tiny as possible. Because back then things cost a lot of money to send data, you can imagine. So it was good to learn early to be efficient instead of mm -hmm. the opposite of that would be, remember when we went into the SOAP XML era of sending data, oh, yeah. which was which was the opposite <laughs> of what you should do. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, we had to do that. And then I learned Visual Basic on the submarine. I taught myself how to write code and databases, access, you know, DBase, Paradox, SQL Server, all that stuff running on Windows 3.1. And, uh, and so we built the GUI on a desktop PC back then on a Windows mm -hmm. PC, and it looked like you're looking at a vending machine. And you could see where all the items are, and there's little numbers telling you how many are left in each one. And you know how we always do KPIs, green, yellow, red? Yeah. Is, is it time to restock, right? Yeah. Or, you know, and, um, you know, it's funny. I'm always been a contrarian when it comes to things like predictive maintenance or machine learning in IoT. Because somehow we managed to predict failures. So if it's a, a vending machine that was like a, a Coke machine or whatever for cold drinks, anything that has a compressor to keep things cold. So you have a motor yep. in there and the motor can wear down and fail. Well, we just used the manual from the operator who makes these motors and we measured RPMs and how many times it was rotating and a lot of stuff like that. We were building, this was Visual Basic and Access databases, and somehow we managed to predict failures of compressors and stuff like that without any fancy machine learning or anything. So there you go, kids. Um, well, <laughs> I, would, I would argue that this was already AI. This was like software using data to extract insights, right? That was already AI yeah. at the end of the day. Because, you know, through just different types of mathematics, you can see mm -hmm. a trend happening you know yeah. just like you know a trend that ball bearings in a machine are slowly wearing down over time and based on that progression i can predict that in three weeks they're going to be small enough that it's going to cause a problem or a failure so stuff mm -hmm. like that so uh so yeah we did that and that's right and you know and so that's where i learned iot and it was really really hard and i was a stupid kid and i was learning from all these gray beard old guys who's probably me now and <laughs> they were so smart and they taught me everything. And imagine having to invent every part of IoT from scratch to make mm -hmm. it work. That's yeah. that's where we were. We didn't have any tools. We just had to make up the whole thing. And there's no way I could have been the guys who were doing embedded C and the EPROMs and connecting. That was magic. And then guys building wireless modems from scratch. And then we started using Mobidems and RAM mobile data, all this stuff would be stuff that BlackBerry would ended up using and things like that to send yeah. communications. And so, uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was just crazy, but it was amazing that, what we That's interesting that you're saying. So you, you, it seems you've been migrating because you, you seem to be the kind of guy who's interested in learning more, you know, going to the next next part, next shiny object, they would say. But yes. you started yeah. with, you started with, uh, with being the operator then yeah. you moved into, oh, how's it done? And let me learn to code and, you know, what's next? Yeah. And learn learn a lot about the electronics, the sensors, the connectivity. And then you ended up doing some mobile stuff as well, which like smartphones yes. are just yet another IoT device, right? Absolutely. And so 
while it seemed like we were super early to the IoT game. And then I would say it just kind of dissipated. I don't want to say IoT or M2M disappeared for a while, but it, it kind of receded in the background for a while. Because if you think about the 90s, that was also the explosion of wireless mobile operators, cellular networks. That was the beginning of that big boom. In fact, one of our biggest investors for our IoT little vending company was guys from Macaw Cellular, which a lot of people don't know who that is, but Craig Macaw is a pioneer in cellular. He created the first cellular nationwide network. You know that as AT&T now. All these mm -hmm. companies that are here, T-Mobile and out, they all came from Western Wireless and Voice Stream and all local Pacific Northwest wireless companies. So it's pretty cool pioneers up here. So that took off and then the smartphone revolution hit us and it was way bigger than whatever I was working on before. And arguably we have not seen anything as big since either than the smartphone tidal wave, no doubt about it. Um, I literally, I was a total Microsoft guy. I did the dot-com thing. I started building, you know, I went from Visual Basic to Active Server pages um, and stuff like that because dot-com was all about the web, right? And e-commerce. Yep, yep. So I was on that train. And then I remember one day on MSDN, there was a, a, this emulator that Microsoft would come out. This is like the year 2000, an emulator for something called a pocket PC. Mm -hmm. And and it, and they had these two different tools. One was embedded C++ and one was embedded VB. And, and it was all free. And so I downloaded it on my little PC. And I would say the, the embedded VB was kind of like WinForms, kind of like yep, for, yep. for a mobile. And so I thought that was so cool. And so I started writing code for this. And then it turns out we had good family friends who was a VP at Compaq. I lived in Houston at this time. And Compaq came out with a Compaq IPAC, which a lot of people didn't know. But at the time, it turns out that our friends at HTC were the ODM who created the IPAC on behalf yep. of those guys. And they ended up building lots of smartphones and other things. And so I dove into that, started writing code for that, and wrote a book. And wrote my, you know, I'd written a lot of articles during the 90s. Like I wrote a lot of stuff for Java Developers Journal and other things like that. And... I hooked up with a, a press. They were brand new. And th they were like, man, this mobile thing might be hot. I don't know. And so this is literally 2000. And so I write one of the first books. Uh, and, and, and they go, well, don't just do generically about the pocket PC or, or whatever. Let's go specific. So there was a little database called Pocket Access. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, so I wrote a book about embedded VB and Pocket Access on this little IPAC. And all of a sudden, the mobile things started to take off. And as you know, you're obviously well involved in that as you know, and um, started doing consulting gigs for companies, oil companies. They're like, wow, this is great. Do you remember yep. the time when we had the rugged devices that were barcode scanners? Oh, yeah. That was, a, that was the early days, you know, people in a factory or warehouse scanning things, and they had the pocket PC on there. Yeah, and the so little, pen, little yeah. pen for writing things, and yep. And sometimes there was a little cable holding the pen onto the yep. device, like a little exactly. Yeah, so do that. And then um, a buddy of mine and I who done a lot of code together, we created a startup and built a mobile device management company. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if people remember MDM stuff, you know, and so back then, the big players, BlackBerry was the biggest player, they had their BlackBerry Enterprise, because back then BlackBerry, 
they took over the world for a while, um, enterprise yeah. handheld devices. And so device management, managing a device, the security, pushing software to it, that kind of thing. So we built an MDM platform and it was initially in the early smartphones. I'm sure I've got one of them around here. It was like, I remember it was an iMate, you know, pocket, you know, I remember the early ones of Microsoft, we just called them smartphone. And, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so built a agent in C on there. This was before OMA DM came out. So it was really hard. So you're doing all the APIs to create the illusion that yep. you know you're doing. Did that, sold it to a company, had an exit, which is great. Um, and then I joined Microsoft and it was back then, you know, there was um, mobile communications business and comm sector were mm -hmm. glued together and it and included embedded, you know, CE, Windows Mobile, Windows Mobile Phone Edition, blah, 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 and everything. And so joined Microsoft because that, you know, and as soon as I joined, it was like, hey, we need you to go to Asia and teach all these people how to do all this stuff. And, you know, literally, like, literally, I'm at work my first day at Microsoft, and they probably let me hang out for maybe two hours just trying to find my way before they said, so, hey, we're going to need you to fly to Kuala Lumpur. Um and then Do you have a passport. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And they go, yeah, we're going to do this. We got this new mobile devices. We want uh, Cellcom was the mobile operator there. They were kind of the number two operator, but they were trying to catch up. And so they were betting on our new Windows mobile smartphones and stuff like that, as well as the rise of web services. And we had this whole thing like Telco 2.0 and all this stuff. We just made up a bunch of stuff, I think, is what really happened, which we saw that a lot, vaporware. And they're like, so we're going to fly to KL. And they go, and you're going to go pitch. You're going to go be in these meetings with the CEO and everything of Cellcom in those cool Patronus Twin Towers there in Malaysia. Yeah. And so uh, I was terrified. And I'm like, well, how do I learn about all this stuff that you're talking about? And they go, we're going to give you a bunch of PowerPoint decks. Just read them on the plane and you'll be good. <laughs> nice. And so, yeah, you go do that. And then they're like, oh, we need to, you to go to Bangkok now. And all our partners in Southeast Asia, we need you to do two days and you're going to teach them about all this stuff. And so, you know, like you and I, I found myself, you know, that was kind of got, so I'm, oh, wow, I'm speaking a lot of things now and having to teach people, which I enjoy teaching. I think that's one yeah. of the things I enjoy well, you, doing the most. You're a storyteller. So that that's yeah. definitely is, is where you are. But actually, so interestingly, you're, so your career path has been about, you know, operating something being curious about it, how it works, getting into the hardware aspects of the sensors and so on, extending that by connecting them. And then you moved into the next wave that was communications, right? And so you've be, you've basically, and, and by the way, that led you to device management, yeah. which if you think about it, device management for mobile devices is very similar to an IoT platform in the cloud is about connecting and, and managing devices like yeah. sensors and, and things like that, right? It so is. you basically were at the at all the steps of the evolution of IoT. And uh, and and well lately I've seen you working on digital twins, which yeah. is an extension or which heavily relies on the sensors and the data from the sensors to digitize uh, digitalize the environments, the things around you, right? And and you you worked on that as well lately. Absolutely. You know, after doing Azure IoT at Microsoft, and then I got recruited by Hitachi 
because uh, they wanted to build an industrial IoT platform which mm -hmm. was called Lumata, which is a great experience for me to get to build something from scratch, design it and build the whole thing. Uh, but this was the 2016 timeframe and I was reading early, early white papers on something called a digital twin. You know, now you know about like Dr. Michael Greaves and, and you know, the guys at NASA who were behind a lot of that stuff. And so I'm, and it, it occurred to me when we built this industrial IoT platform that would live in factories and on bullet trains uh, in Japan, that digital twins probably belong at the heart of the IoT thing, not a bolt-on. I felt like, wow, this is a critical thing. And they're kind of like, a, I, I like to think of them as a data structure initially. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's how you model something. And so, you know, I know we say it's digital, but we're modeling them as a data structure. And then, yep. then you have, then you have a view of them. A lot of people see a 3D view of something and go like, oh, that's a digital twin. That's like, well, it's a view of the digital twin. Yeah. And so, because before that, we're just saying, well, it's sensor number one, two, three, and it goes to this thing and here's some magic yeah. happening. And it was better to say, well, actually that sensor is sending data on behalf of this twin. And the twin is this whole whatever system is, you know? And so uh, really got into that. And so that was, and the cool thing is, and it was such a great experience working in Itachi and working for a Japanese company. I, I spent a lot of time in Japan, spent a lot of time in factories in Japan, working with those guys because we had to be legit and real, you know, <laughs> not another knockoff IoT thing that was for Raspberry <laughs> Pis or something. <laughs> and so uh, they, we came up with the term asset avatars is what we called our digital twins instead of digital twins. Um, everything in manufacturing, everyone thinks that everything is an asset. And so asset yeah. was a typical name. And then in Japan, and then I've heard from other guys in different parts of Asia that they thought the word avatar actually made more sense for what we were trying to convey uh, than twin did. I'm like, yeah. okay. <laughs> good, a good parallel to that, uh, you know, the metaverse environment where, you know, it's about having a digital version of you to allow you to interact with uh, the web and other digital yeah. versions of people, right? So avatar yeah. is, is representing you, why not an asset avatar, yeah? Like right, it. it was cool. Like it. And yeah. you know, so, so, that, was a, so that, that was a great experience. All, all of that is, is a lot of things, right? And so um, the title that I put down at the beginning here of our conversation was about what does it take to become an IoT expert or to be yeah. an IoT expert? And I think we got the chance to be here when things were developed. And I think it's it's at the stage where there are so many things. It's hard to actually really becoming an expert of everything, right? And and That's hard. The, the big chance is that, you know, if you've not had the chance to go through a career that was about going through all the pieces that, you know, especially if you're young, like, you know, early in career, you you, have, you might have a good understanding of that end to end, but you don't have the expertise yet. So today... What would be your recommendation for, you know, someone early in career interested about the concepts or the principles, having a good understanding of the end-to-end, -end, but, you know, are there things that you would recommend in terms of, hey, focus more on the cloud side of thing, you know, maybe digital twins is what is at the core of things and learn about what is an OS and what is hardware because there will always be constraints that are impactful on an end-to-end -end solution. So what, what are the things that you would you would say are the two to three main, you know, uh, aspects of IoT that you would recommend someone to really look closer into? Yeah, 
No, I agree. Most likely you're not going to have the opportunity to be an embedded developer and a wireless developer and a cloud developer and arc yeah, no, you're right. Um, you know, the, the business outcome is way more important than any of the technology by far. Um, mm -hmm. After a while, you start to realize that a lot of that technology that you thought was so important and magical is just plumbing and it just is. Um, and so all IoT is, is, you know, I, God, I've said this for years, sensors sense and actuators act. And you just connect, you collect data, you analyze it and you take action on it, right? Uh, there might be other things happening. And so I'd say um, we've been moving data around from place to place for a long time, but there used to always be a person behind it. And now you've yeah. got in, inanimate objects, right? Which makes things a little trickier for sure. And so, and not everyone's going to be an embedded developer like you, right? And mm -hmm. so, uh, think of the, think it, you know, think of the business outcome that you're trying to accomplish by knowing remotely knowing something is really the key thing. When we say yeah. things like, "Hey, you're just competing with against a guy with a clipboard," it's real. Lots of people, and I was guilty of it. And we worked with some of the smartest people in the world, and everyone spent too much time in the weeds with bleeding edge technologies that said you had to know this or and it turns out we were all wrong about almost mm -hmm. everything um it turns out it's just basic stuff if there's a business case to know remotely know something where i don't have to go visit it and inspect it is there value in that yeah there's value in that so know know the basics of remotely knowing yeah. something um the digital twin stuff it's just a data thing it's a modeling thing and you can choose to get into that if you want to or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over time, things that are special, things that will get you a job will become commonplace and will mm -hmm. become a commodity and they won't be special anymore. And yep. so, we, you know, we always talk about lifelong learning, right? You know, you you can't stop. You just can't stop learning. You've got, uh, you're always climbing up that mountain or you're always pushing that boulder Yep. up the mountain uh and so you have to keep learning because what got you the job 10 years ago is not going to get you the job today or even five years yeah. ago and, and right? i think it's 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 more and more true even beyond iot itself you know as a, as a domain it's actually true everywhere yeah it is it is absolutely so just think of those concepts when you want to know something about a car moving around or monitoring a machine in a factory or you're out on a farm and you're trying to conserve mm -hmm. water and you're doing simple stuff, you know? Yep. Um, yeah. I've heard you say that, uh, you know, several times, and I, I've said it as well. Like, start simple. Think about the business case, like, the, the what is it that you're building that for, right? What's the value you're generating? And bring things to the basics. You know, you, you need to have moisture sensor deployed on a farm. Maybe you don't need all the fanciness of everything that comes with like full-blown IoT solutions. Maybe you just need very simple sensors, communication layer, and maybe a little server yeah. on the farm that that's and you're good to go, right? And so, yeah, sometimes right. often just like the simplest, the simplest bits and pieces are where to start with. It's true. In fact, most of the time the simplest stuff actually will work just fine. Yeah, you know, we, and then the complexity that we see very often comes from the multiple layers that people are trying to add on top, or or they're trying to de de develop or build platforms that can do everything. You know, yeah. I have this expression in French to say that uh, this uh, this thing can also do coffee, right? If it's a robot yeah. arm, why would you need it to do coffee, right? And well, sometimes people are just thinking about everything and trying to to have some generic solution that will solve all the problems, but 
it actually becomes overcomplicated, you know, hard to secure, hard to deploy, hard to maintain. And this is where the complexity is at. IoT gets complex enough as soon as you do big deployments. So you better keep it simple as long as you can. Um, we have lots of friends who I can't believe they're still talking about MQTT and why, you know, Spark plug start, is gonna, start that debate now. You really I'm, I'm going I'm to I'm gonna start stirring the pot right now. But, but we used to talk about that a million years ago and thought that was the thing. I'm surprised yeah. when I, and there must be newcomers who didn't have this experience and they just like woke up in the IoT world and they said, oh my God, I better do some kind of Spark plug B universal namespace MQTT or I don't have IoT. And nothing can be further from the truth. There's a million wire protocols out there that can move data from one place to another and file formats and just move the data. You know, I think it really sank in for me in a big way being out on the farm and doing agriculture IoT and what an impact it had on farmers. And yeah. great down to earth people, you know, you've got, you're, you're right, you're doing moisture sensors, temperature, humidity, sunlight, things like that. And I'm just using REST APIs. And guess what? I could manage every farm in the entire state of Washington on a single server running under my desk if I needed to, because some of us have done big time server stuff for years and you know how to you mean, scale. You mean your private cloud? <laughs> yeah, my private cloud. But, and also, but like, you know, when we were building Azure IoT Hub, you know, I don't want to say we over-engineered it. We just didn't know. And so we had to, we built it thinking we better, better handle 10 million messages per second or we're going to fall over. Well, it yep. turns out all of IoT around the world so far has yet to create as much data in one day as the New York Stock Exchange. So we all over-engineered. We all over-did for scale that we, it turns out we never needed. As, <laughs> and so it can be amazing. Or, or didn't need yet. We didn't need because, yet. Because actually, before I let you go, I, you know, I wanted to talk real quick about, or have your opinion real quick about where things are going, right? So the term IoT is maybe fallen in disgrace or not. I don't know. Like lots of companies are trying to not use it because there's another, a new fancy one, which is AI. And and so, but but from your perspective, you were mentioning IoT being like plumbing. So is it is the technology is back to the question at the very beginning? You know, if you if you want to become an expert, or if you're an expert. Is it a domain that is long living, that you have a future as an expert in that domain or not? What, what is your perspective on that? I guess we still need plumbers in case something happens at your house with the sink. Um, to your point about we're making things too complex on what we think of as an IoT system or platform mm -hmm. or whatever, if you just reduce it down and just say, IoT is just the plumbing. I'm just getting data off this device and I'm capturing yep. it and storing it stuff that happens after that, that's something else. That's not IoT, that's analytics or it's AI or you're modeling things as a twin, but that's something else. And let's all say that. We used to think everybody's been building these platforms that do a million things and you shouldn't have to know how to do all that. To your point though, the IoT plumbing is getting so easy, but it's not gonna go away because you mm -hmm. still have to have it. It just becomes, you know, like we talk about technology, how it fades into the background when it goes mainstream. Yeah. I, I think IoT is the same way. You don't get AI without tons of data because AI happens from training models. And the only way you're gonna have smart AI about all these different scenarios in your business or whatever is you better have that IoT plumbing sending that data into your system 
those digital twins of whatever system you're monitoring, there's the latest state, and then every packet that comes in is the historical state. Well, what do you think mm -hmm. you're doing there? You're training, you're, you've got a model of this thing and you run it through ML and you keep adding to it. It's the same thing as training ML models and or as people like to say AI these days. And so you've got to have it. But I would say, keep going up the stack if mm -hmm. you can, maybe spend more time on the data side. Um, you know, businesses, when we used to say, well, you're going to get all, everybody's saying data is the new oil. Well, it's not. I know so many people that go, we have so much data, we don't know what to do with it. We, we did a great job. You told us to capture the data and now we have a pile of data. <laughs> yeah, 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 great. And actually the, the goal in that in that big stack of data is the insights you can extract, right? Is, it is. It's the automation of insight extraction uh, through yes. AI, through machine learning models applied, you know, um, and I think to you said the data the word, coming from the environments, right? You said the word right in your sentence because we would say deriving insights and so you're going to make these great decisions. The word is automation. Yeah. If you ask executives all over the planet, if you go to the World Economic Forum in Davos and they say, what's the number one thing every executive wants? They say they want automation. Yeah. And so nobody wants to work in a factory anymore. No one wants to work in a farm anymore. We lost 300,000 nurses during COVID. They're, it's crazy. We have labor shortages all over the place and mm -hmm. they need data and automation to pick up the slack. It's not even about replacing jobs. There's just not enough people. So they need things like IoT, analytics, AI, to augment or fill in the gaps where they used to have people. And the word is yep. automation. And so taking that action. And so it's not even a guy sitting at the desk analyzing the data and go, I think I'm going to do this yep. with this insight. It's yep. like, do the thing. In fact, I had tons yep. of customers. They're like, we're tired of paying this expensive bill for this IoT platform. Because mm -hmm. we want it, not, don't tell me what to do. I want you to do it. Do the thing. Right. Go end to yeah. end. Com complete the action for me. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Cool, Rob. Yeah, that's that's, that's definitely, if, if we were to, to try and sum up everything we just said in like 30-something minutes, um, so, <laughs> you know, it's, it's supposed to be a 10, 15 minutes conversation, but I think people Oops. will enjoy that one. I can, that's fine. I can publish it like by two in speed and people will still be interested uh, <laughs> in that one. But, um, uh, you know, I think, I think IT expert is really about understanding the use cases, being focused on the outcome, being curious about the various aspects and the various technologies involved. Very often you were saying, you know, um, about your work with farmers, being interested in the, the operators, the people who are gonna use it, because that's understanding what they want, because at the end of the day, your IoT solution system application will be useless if it's not serving someone's, you know, purpose, right? And if it's not Absolutely. something, the operator needs to be able to use it, right? And, yeah. and, and extract value from it. Um, and I think, I think this is really a domain where if you, you you need to have this kind of like general culture, you need to be a generalist to be yeah. really good at it uh, and and have experienced lots of things, uh, you know, getting your hands dirty. It's good to have, and, and being a generalist over time, you might be an expert in all these different points, yep, but yep. if you want to have a real business or you really want to sell these things that we're talking about, you've got to be able to talk the talk to the the, the customer who you know what is the problem it's solving and remember it can't be a nice to have 
what is the urgent, very important problem you are going to solve with this technology? Mm -hmm. That's how you do it. Um, yep. And and so you've got to know you've got to know a lot about business and you've got to know about commerce and things like that. Yeah, it takes right. a while. Well, Rob, Rob, thanks for coming on this IoT Show episode, uh, one of the first ones of this reboot of the show. Um, I'm sure we're going to see you again. You'll be around. Excellent, my pleasure. It's great being with you. Cool. Talk to you soon. Thanks everyone for Adios. watching.